0: If you're interested in becoming a content creator, but you're not sure how you can monetize it or turn it into a sustainable income, then don't press that pause button, my friend, because this episode is for you. So many people are intrigued by the idea of becoming a creator, and it's no surprise, some of the most trendy pop culture icons of our time started as or are currently content creators. Emma Chamberlain, Charlie Demilio, Mr. Beast, the Paul Brothers, the list goes on. And the coolest part is, being a professional creator doesn't have to mean being the most famous person on the planet, like some of the people previously mentioned. More and more regular people, just like you and me, are making an income creating content for the internet. Just yesterday, I was actually listening to a podcast by some of my favorite creators, Colin and Samir, and they were talking about how they think that 2020 really was the year of the rise of what they called the working class creator. And I think that is so true. Now more than ever, there are thousands of people making a go of it online. It doesn't necessarily mean all these people are becoming millionaires, but I don't think that's what we need to aim for, if I'm honest. You don't need to be Emma Chamberlain to make content that you love and to earn a reasonable income from it. I don't know about you, but I'm not really in this online entrepreneurship thing to become a crazy millionaire. I'm in it to do work that's meaningful to me and to earn enough money to sustain a life that I love. So if that mission resonates with you, I know you're going to find this episode helpful. We're going to dive into the complete beginner's guide to making money as a content creator online, a million followers, not necessary. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the Creator Club Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Steckley, YouTube creator and creative entrepreneur. The Creator Club Podcast is a workshop style show dedicated to teaching creators and entrepreneurs the best strategies for social media marketing and content creation. Whether you're into Instagram, creating on YouTube, trying TikTok or producing podcasts, this show is made for you. And because here at Creator Club, we believe in teaching everything you know, and that community is more important than competition, this club is open to everyone. Come and join us. So if you listen to this podcast, you know me, you know me well, I of course have a numbered list for you. And today we're going to be talking about five different ways that one can monetize their audience, even if they're starting off with a relatively small audience. Even if you have like a hundred followers right now, these are some strategies that you can either start today or start to work towards. We're going to be talking about One that you might not have considered yet, but I am going to pitch to you today as a really viable option of starting to earn money ASAP, and that is offering services. The second one is the very famous ad revenue. We're going to talk about how it works and how you can start earning ad revenue from a YouTube channel. Then we're going to talk about number three, digital products. What are digital products? How do you make them? How do you make money from them? Then we're gonna talk about number four, affiliate sales. How can you earn money by recommending products that you probably are already recommending to your followers? And number five, brand deals. Again, another very famous way of earning money online that everybody kind of seems to idolize. So I'm gonna talk about why that's not always the best option for making money online, but at the same time, how you can work towards it if that's something that you're interested in. So let's get started with number one, which is services. Now, many of you might not be expecting this as a suggestion for making money as a creator. When people go into the creator career path, we often imagine that we're going to earn money by creating content for the masses. We want to make YouTube videos or Instagram content or podcasts, and we want to earn money for that content that is going to be consumed by people probably for free, right? You normally think about it as, I create content for an audience that loves my content, consumes it for free, and then I get paid via these other sources like ads or brand deals, whatever. But what I wanna pitch to you is the idea that you can use all of the skills and the experience that you have creating content, and you can use that as a service to other people. And this is a really, really effective way at starting out as a freelancer, as a content creator, because it is going to have much more of an immediate return than any of the other stuff that I'm going to be talking about in this episode. And I just want to make that really clear from the beginning that all of the other stuff that I'm going to talk about as we move forward, yes, there are good suggestions. Yes, there are ways that I make money and that lots of other creators make money. But if you do decide to go this route, it is probably going to be at least a year before you really start to see a return in those other areas. And I'm going to talk more in detail about why that is as we get there, but just know that if you're really brand new to the space and you're just thinking, I've been working on the side hustle for a while and I want to figure out how I can start to monetize this and actually get a return on my investment, then offering services is a really, really great way to start. Think about it this way. If you're already creating content for yourself for free, like taking photos or writing captions or doing social media marketing research or editing videos or doing graphic design, those are all skills that you have that other people are going to be willing to pay for because they're very valuable and helpful in other areas of marketing as well, not just in content creation. So to kind of back up this idea for you, I want to tell you a story about how I got started I tried many moons ago back in 2016. I feel like this was like a totally different life in a totally different world. This was like before you know who became president and life seemed so much normal back then. Anyway, back in early 2016, I tried to start an online brand From scratch and sell a course because this was a very very popular thing to do at the time especially for bloggers so I had a YouTube channel like I've talked about a lot I've had a YouTube channel since about 2009 but at that time I really thought of it as like a thing I did for fun I really didn't see YouTube as being like a business thing at that point I I made vlogs I just made videos about whatever I I thought was interesting at the time but At that point, a lot of people were making blogs and selling online courses about, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. Online marketing, usually online business kind of related stuff is what I usually saw, but that's because I was also interested in that topic area. So anyway, this was the time of like Melissa Griffin was really huge and uh, Mariah Cause and a lot of other people. I feel like Amy Porterfield is also the kind of person that was big at that time too. And they all had blogs and were making money selling courses. And some of these people were even making money selling courses about how to sell courses. It gets that meta. So anyway, I was very convinced that this is gonna be a way that I was gonna start my own business because I was already feeling strongly at this time that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to work a regular nine to five for somebody else because I had done a number of internships at this point and wasn't really vibing with the whole like getting behind somebody else's mission thing. I was like, I've got my own passions I want to follow. So I was experimenting. I was like, what if I start a blog, provide a ton of free value, you know, SEO can be really great. I'm going to get my blog to have a ton of page views. I'm going to do webinars. Remember when everybody was using webinars to sell their courses and then I'm going to sell all these courses. It's going to be amazing. Well... I spent a lot of time developing this course it was all about how to do your own blog photography this is also very 2016 but the idea was like if you're not so good at photography I'll teach you how to take really good photos just on your phone or with a really entry-level DSLR so then you can feel good about the content you're creating for your blog anyway we could go in depth in this but there's a lot of reasons why it didn't work out but at the end of the day what happened was I didn't have the necessary volume to make the number of sales that I would have needed for this to be worthwhile. And I really want to talk about this because I think this is something a lot of people are not addressing in the world of creator business or like giving advice about online businesses. There's so many people that say like sell an e course, create a ebook, sell a digital product and you know, passive income is just like the most trendy thing right now. Everybody wants to figure out how they can, you know, sell courses and make $100,000 while sitting on the beach. And, you know, that sounds great, but very few people are actually doing that. And the reality is it takes a huge amount of scale to be able to actually make good money on these online courses. And let me kind of break it down for you and tell you why. And this is part of why I haven't really made a huge effort at going into online courses recently and why I focus a lot of my business on providing services. I, I have a lot of reasons behind this, and it doesn't mean that I'll never launch a course. I think that I might at some point, but it has to make sense. And I have to be really confident that it's going to have the value that you know people are expecting. So anyway, let's just break this down. Let me give you an example, and we're going to talk numbers here about really what that scale has to look like for you to actually make a go of it with online courses. I feel like this episode has kind of gone into this tangent of like, don't make an online course, but really this is me just trying to show you why doing services can be so much more financially effective from the beginning and then contrasting that with the world of selling courses or selling e-products, just because I feel like that's what a lot of people, most podcasts, if you would press play and listen to a podcast about how to earn money online, they would probably start talking right away about courses and passive income and stuff, because that is just such a, it's what everybody wants to hear, but I'm telling you, you do have to sell your time for money when you get started and that that's what i still do and yeah so let's let's just break this down so here are two potential scenarios and let's say in both of these cases you are starting out relatively brand new okay and you have a hundred followers this is very similar to the situation that i was in a few years ago when i wanted to start an online business so let's say in the first scenario you go the route of the e-course and you think, okay, I'm gonna sell this course for $100. I think that's a reasonable dollar value for the value I'm providing, so let's say it's gonna be $100. Now, to create a course that's really worth that value, in my opinion, it might take you upwards of like 50 hours or more to create it, and I really think that's true. It takes a long time to create an online course. It takes a long time to create an online course that's actually worth buying, I mean, there's a lot of people that maybe aren't spending that much time on it, but I think if you ethically want to charge that much, you should be you know, spending, let's just say for easy figuring, 50 hours or more to create this course that you are going to sell for $100. Now, if you want to pay yourself at an entry-level rate of, let's say, $20 an hour, like that's what you're aiming to make for your time. Maybe you're leaving a job that that's what you were getting paid, then you need to be able to make... $1,000 from your course sales, which would be, you know, like 10 sales of your $1,000 course, right? So just to kind of bring all these numbers together, okay, so you're working 50 hours at $20 an hour, that is going to be, you know, you need to make $1,000. And that, that doesn't even cover the expenses of like, okay, there's probably a cut that the course website has taken. How much are you paying for your website? We're not even talking about profit here, but because you probably would have expenses, but... You just have to imagine here, you would need to make about $1,000, which is 10 sales of your course. Now, that might not sound like a lot, like, oh yeah, 10 people, I can probably do that. But if you have 100 followers on Instagram and that's maybe like your only audience right now, let's say you don't have a big email list or another sort of traffic generator that you have up and going, then you're looking at a 10% conversion rate of your audience. And that is a really high conversion rate, believe it or not. Normally you would be expecting a conversion rate for this sort of thing to be closer to one to 3%. Full transparency, because I have no problem with sharing my experiences when I've been less than successful, when I launched a, a mini like workshop style kind of course in April of 2020, I had a conversion rate of closer to like a third of a percent when it comes to the total number of my audience that by my course. And I had some other struggles with that too. But anyway, that the point is uh, trying to get 10 people to sign up out of a group of 100, that's actually quite difficult. Because you can imagine that out of your 100 followers, you might only be reaching like 60 or 70 of them. Just realistically, Like, if you think what's the reach on your average post, it's probably not actually 100% of your audience. And then maybe out of the 60 or 70 people you're reaching, you're only getting, let's say, 20 to 30 likes on your photos, probably less comments. So really, then you're looking at trying to get 10 people out of those 20 to 30 like true fans that are actually engaging with your content to purchase. And, and that's you know, more like a third or, or half uh, conversion rate, which is very, very difficult to achieve. So I'm not trying to be a downer here. I feel like I've gone through all these numbers that maybe have been discouraging, but I'm just trying to say this is hard and I really want to be authentic about that because you might have tried this before, you might be in a similar position to me where you've tried to sell an online course and had, you know, lackluster results and then you end up feeling kind of shitty because everybody else seems to be having these like six-figure launches and you're kind of like, "Well, what's wrong with me?" But what I'm trying to say is there's nothing wrong with you. It genuinely is very difficult and You're always only going to see the success stories because I'm not out here on Instagram talking every day about how I sold less courses than I wanted to, you know, because it's embarrassing. People don't want to talk about things that happen that they're not quite as excited about. So that's why you're always seeing people brag about their big successes because nobody wants to talk about their failures. Not that I think mine was a failure, but, you know, just to give you some context, it is really difficult to do the kind of conversion that would be necessary, in my opinion, to make all the work that you put into a course like that worthwhile. So let's talk about scenario number two now. That was scenario one, where you started out with hundred followers and you try to launch a course, etc. So now scenario number two, let's say you've got hundred followers, same, same exact background. And maybe in this case, you're a YouTube creator. Really there, there's all kinds of different types of creativity you could have for this, but I'm just gonna use YouTube as an example. So obviously if you're on YouTube, you know how to make videos, right? You're editing videos and audio and um, producing them and putting them on your channel. So maybe instead of creating a course about like how to do whatever your YouTube channel is about, you could go out and use your video skills to offer a client a $1,000 video project. Now that is really not that unreasonable of a rate in my experience from being a freelance videographer. For a project like this, maybe you would make a promotional video for their website, like a two to four minute long promo video with B-roll and interviews, and then maybe you would also throw in some social media assets, like a one minute version of that for Instagram, a vertical version for Instagram stories they could use for advertising, and maybe another short Facebook version. So that would be a package in my mind worth about $1,000, especially considering the amount of time you'd be there shooting and, and the skill involved. And total, I would estimate, like if I was going to do this kind of project back in the day when I was still a freelance videographer, then that probably would have taken me about like 25 hours or so, just a rough estimate. So in this case, where you have 100 followers and then you're doing this one client project for $1,000, it might take you 25 hours. Now you only need to find one client out of 100 instead of 10, and you're getting paid actually $50 an hour, not 20. So hopefully this example illustrates for you that really courses and other kind of passive income streams really only become passive when you have huge scale behind you. And when you're starting out, you won't necessarily have that scale. And it can be a lot easier to make the same amount of money if you go for a different approach that I think a lot of people have started to devalue and a lot of people like to scoff at like, oh, wanna stop trading your time for money or you know, quit working with clients and sell your knowledge or whatever, like a lot of people are sort of turning their nose up at that. But I actually think when you get started, it's, way, it's a way better way of making money, especially in my experience. So what I want you to think about is what services you might be able to provide And then pitch yourself to leads that might be interested, even if they aren't necessarily your followers yet, or if you do have people that are following you that you think might be good leads, reach out to them and don't underestimate yourself in terms of the services you could provide. If you have a YouTube channel, you could do video editing. If you have an instagram you could probably do photography or maybe if you're posting a lot of graphics you could do graphic design you could maybe do social media management you could you know consult on on marketing for small businesses there's a lot of different services that you could potentially provide if you have the skills of a content creator because they definitely are in demand also don't be afraid for these services to be slightly unrelated to the content that you're making This is really, in my opinion, the service side is to get your business off the ground and to get you making some money so that you can hopefully transition to doing this full time if that is your goal, which I know a lot of people really do wanna get out of their nine to five, start doing content creation full time. This can be one of your income streams to help you do that. So even if it's not related to your niche, like let's say for instance, that you have a like zero waste related Instagram account and you're making graphics for it and you make like, you know, hand-drawn illustrations or infographics about environmental issues and about how to live low waste. Okay, I get it. You're not a graphic design account. You're not an illustration account, but that doesn't stop you from reaching out to local businesses and say, hey, would you like 10 custom illustrations for X amount of dollars? Like I can have them done by this time. You can still pitch your services to businesses without that being like your main niche as a content creator. So Don't stress about that. I mean, you don't have to be a YouTuber that's talking about being a freelance videographer in order to go out there and do freelance videography. You can just use your skills, reach out to the people who might need them and offer them those skills. So that's my pitch to basically try out freelancing. I know that might not be what you thought you were getting into when you decided to become a content creator, but I think it can be a really solid part of your content creation journey, whether it's making videos, doing social media management, all the different things I mentioned. It's a really great way to actually develop your skills further and become a better creator and make some money along the way to support your journey. Are you thinking about starting a podcast? Maybe a YouTube channel is more your speed, or even just video content for Instagram. Whatever content you're creating, you'll be looking for catchy and dynamic music to go with it, and we all know by now that using copyrighted music in your content is not gonna fly on your favorite platform. That's where Artlist comes in. Artlist is my platform of choice for finding music for my YouTube videos, podcasts, and my clients' podcasts. With one simple subscription, you have access to a library of awesome tracks, and the best part is you have full permission to use them everywhere. That's right, everywhere. YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, even in paid client projects. Artlist's revolutionary licensing system and extensive music and sound effects library makes it the go-to option for content creators. Get two months free of Artlist when you use my exclusive affiliate link, katiesteckley.com artlist. That's katiesteckley.com A-R-T-L-I-S-T. All right, let's talk about everybody's favorite ad revenue. This one gets so much attention, especially on YouTube. Really right now, YouTube is the main place that people are making ad revenue. I mean, Instagram doesn't really have an ads program. On Facebook, I think there's a small one that is sort of by invitation. So YouTube is still very unique in this sense, but it's important to talk about because probably many of you listening might be considering starting a YouTube channel, or maybe that is your main place for content creation as it is. So let's talk about how it works. YouTube has a very you know, unique platform and a very specific system that every creator is gonna have to learn as you work towards getting monetized on YouTube. So YouTube uses this thing called AdSense, Google AdSense, because you know if you didn't know, YouTube is owned by Google. And so it's all kind of part of like, Google's ad system, which is very complex and a little bit creepy because they know so much about us. But anyway, let's talk about how you get monetized. So on YouTube, in order to have your channel monetized, you need to have at least 1000 subscribers and 4000 hours of watch time within the past 12 months. Once your channel Passes that threshold, then you are enabled to place ads on your videos. You can place them as pre rolls, you can place them as mid rolls, which means the video stops and then an ad plays and then the video goes back, and also post rolls where the ad shows up after the video. You can also have ads in the sidebar next to your video. And all of these different ads earn you a small commission based on how many people see them and that is what we call cpm a lot of youtube creators you'll hear them talk about cpm and what that stands for is cost per mil mil meaning a thousand so this is basically the amount of money that you are earning per 1,000 monetized playbacks. And it's important to distinguish the difference between views and monetized playbacks because not everybody who is viewing your video is seeing ads. They might be using an ad blocker. They might have YouTube premium, in which case you would earn money from that view in a different way. So that's why views is not everything. It's really about monetized playbacks and then the amount that you are getting per monetized playback because it changes a lot. So some creators will have a CPM that's as low as like $2 per 1,000 views and some creators, ones that I've worked with, have had like $40 per 1,000 views. So it really, really varies and there's a lot of different components involved in this. So how can you have a higher CPM or what affects your CPM as a YouTube creator? For one, different niches have a big impact on this and basically what this breaks down to is Different companies and in different industries are willing to pay different amounts for ads. For example, in the niche of talking about business, or there's a lot of people on YouTube that talk about Amazon dropshipping and online business. That is a niche that has a very high CPM, and that is because people in that business are really they're ready to pay a lot of money to have an ad on a YouTube video because it is a really good investment for them. They have high ticket items and so if they are able to make a conversion, it's worth a lot to them. And you know, there's less people talking about it. So for them, a single ad on a YouTube video is worth a lot, therefore higher CPM. To contrast that with another industry, we've got beauty gurus. There are millions of people talking about makeup on YouTube and For makeup companies, if they make one sale, like, you know, expensive makeup is maybe $50 per item, cheap makeup, maybe $2 for an item, right? So the margins are a lot smaller on selling beauty products. And so the ads, the CPM is gonna be cheaper because there's tons and tons of people talking about it. And it's not as much of a return for businesses to like pay a lot for ads. So really this just comes down to kind of the typical old boring supply and demand. And that's all kind of wrapped into what the CPM is. So that's a big part of determining your CPM is what kind of niche you're in. You'll notice if you talk about an, like any kind of niche on YouTube and then you maybe make one video that talks more about money or like finances it anyway you'll probably have a higher CPM because that's another industry like personal finance tends to have higher CPMs. And that's one that creators can kind of dip in and out of depending on their niche too. So a lot of people will notice that. So anyway, that's just a big component of what goes into how much money you make on your YouTube ads. Another thing you can do to increase your CPM is simply to add more ads to your video. That might sound obvious, but it's something that a lot of people don't realize is if you have a 10 minute video, you can start adding mid rolls. So for me, something I'll do on my longer videos is I like to add a mid roll ad somewhere around like the 12 or 13 minute mark, because I don't want to add it too close to the beginning of the video because people might stop watching if they get an ad too soon. So I figure if people have already watched 13 minutes and they're willing to stop for five seconds and then continue watching to the the end, but that can increase your CPM a lot because essentially you're doubling the number of ads on your video. And then the third thing that you can really do to increase how much money you make on AdSense is just to make sure that you get a lot of views, and that's way easier said than done, trust me, because I am constantly trying to work towards having more views on my YouTube videos and feeling kind of insecure about the amount that I do have, but you know, it's okay. And I think the biggest thing here is just like trying to. Not compare yourself to others but always just try to do your personal best and see how you can improve on your own content and keep reaching more people because obviously the more people that see your videos the more money you will make from ads so that's kind of an overview of how adsense works now do i think that this is a good thing to work towards or a good way to support yourself as a creator well, I think that this can be a good supplement to your income. The fact is it's probably gonna be a long time before you get to the point where this could actually replace your income. Even for me, I almost have 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Woo woo, can't wait for that to actually happen. I'm like counting down, but there's still got a, a few thousand to go. Anyway, I, I don't make a full-time income from that. I mean, it depends on, on what that would look like for you, but I make like around $2,000 a month from youtube ads and you know i've got expenses as well because that's the other thing that you have to realize as a youtuber like you know maybe $2,000 Two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars a month sounds like a good replacement to your current salary. That's great, but the one thing that you do have to remember is like that's not your take home final paycheck because if you are paying for Premiere Pro, if you're paying for your Squarespace site, if you're paying for you know Artlist for your stock music that you're using or Storyblocks for stock footage, that's all stuff that you have to pay for out of that AdSense that you're making plus your laptop or your camera or any other things that come up. And you got to save some of that for income tax because YouTube is not taking income tax off for you like a paycheck from a regular job would. So anyway, that's just something to remember. But anyway, the point is this is a supplement to the overall income of my business. It's not something that I can like rely on as as a full-time income. So I think that that is a good way to see AdSense because... There's not that many people, I think, that are making so much that that can be their only income. I mean, there are people that I've come across on YouTube that... All they do is they, they, all they do, I shouldn't discount it, but like they just post YouTube videos and they just make money from AdSense and sometimes it can be a little bit envy inducing because I'm like, oh, that's so, such a simple life to lead and I've got a million different things going on. But I do think at the end of the day, it's good to have a lot of income streams, even if it can be a little bit overwhelming and complicated, like it is for me sometimes, but it is more reliable because you can't always rely on your, your AdSense to be the same every month. So yeah, I think it's a good income stream to have. I think it's a perfectly reasonable goal to work towards. I think that it is something that you can do. I think that you can probably work towards hitting that 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 watch hours within a year or two years if you really, really work at it and you're strategic and you do your research and all that good stuff. So yeah, I I think it's a great way to supplement your income, but I wouldn't suggest that you work towards this as your sole income as a creator. The third thing that I wanted to talk about is digital products. Now, I feel like I spent the first half of this podcast absolutely shitty on doing courses and digital products, and I don't want it to come across that way because they are a decent way to start capitalizing on potential scale that you have. And this is really, I'm kind of introducing these in order of like what I think you should do at what point in your creator career. So I think starting with services makes a lot of sense because there's really a low barrier to entry there in terms of the number of followers you need. The next thing you'll probably hit is that 1,000 subscriber mark and 4,000 hours of watch time so you can start monetizing your YouTube videos. And then maybe the next thing you might want to consider on your career path is creating digital products. Now, digital products are offerings that are scalable, like courses, but are not as much work. That's kind of how I define them. It means something different to everybody, but I am kind of emphasizing here, I'm suggesting digital products, not like a full-on course. So these are likely going to be things that cost less than a course. You're not going to charge like $100 for them, but they are you know, valuable and helpful tools that you can sell for, you know, somewhere between $20 to $100, and you know, make a little bit of money off them and that can continue to scale with you as your audience grows. Another distinction I have here for digital products, these are single purchase items that you get once. It's not something that has to be updated all the time like courses. And generally people understand that they are not gonna be as extensive. If they're buying an ebook, they're not gonna expect it to be as in-depth as a course. And that's something where I kind of want to talk a little bit about my own personal experience with this. It's important to really know the expectation around courses or around other types of digital products, like based on their genre, you want to know what the market expects and not just like tell them what to expect about your product. Because I think even if you're really clear in your marketing, you might end up with some disappointed people if you use terminology that kind of is loaded for people. So just as a personal example, I created, like I said earlier, this workshop style course in early 2020. And I felt And I'm not saying that this is necessarily like the way I felt was objective truth. But uh, from my perspective, I was like, I'm being very clear about this marketing. It's a workshop. I never once called it a course. I was like, this is going to be, you know, like an hour of content and an hour of Q&A. Very basic. And I think I charged like $80 for it. So, you know, it's very much under that $100 mark and is a workshop. It's supposed to be this kind of like very much contained you know, it is what it is. I didn't want people to think that this was like a, a really big in-depth course because it wasn't, and, and that's not what I was trying to provide, and I didn't think that I was charging what I would charge for an in-depth course. But some of the feedback that I got kind of indicated that people were expecting this to be my full like flagship course about Instagram growth and, you know, where are the PDFs? Where are the e-resources? Where is this? Where is that? How come this is content that we've heard before and whatever? and i felt a little bit like well, i didn't promise any worksheets or any ebooks and yeah some of the stuff I have talked about before because it's the basics and we need to set the foundation before we can get into the details here and this is meant to be a beginner course. But anyway, I'm not saying like maybe I did screw up on the marketing. Like that could be very true. But I definitely learned a very valuable lesson and that is you need to understand not only how you're marketing it, you can think that you're being as clear as possible with the marketing, but if the market expectations are for something else People are going to have those expectations even if your sales page is crystal clear about what you're offering. So that's just kind of my warning to make sure that you understand what are the market expectations around things like ebooks, guides, templates, whatever, so that people aren't disappointed. Because even if you're clear about what you're offering, people might expect more than that, and they probably will expect more than whatever you say you're going to give in in your marketing. So anyway, usually it's good to under-promise and over-deliver. All of that being said, here are some digital products that you can try making that I think are a little less loaded in terms of expectations than something like a course, because a lot of people think a course is going to be their solve-all sort of solution. And these things will also like take you less time to make and just be something that is more of a casual purchase for your followers that want to support you and want to get some value. And will try out some of these like smaller things that you've created. So one is presets. It's the classic Lightroom preset thing that a lot of influencers do. Do this if you're good at making presets and if people like the style of your Instagram photos, and then you can have them available for purchase. Another thing you can do is eBooks. This one is great if you are a food or like wellness or lifestyle type person, you could create like a recipe book or you know a workout book or something like that. This can be a really great way to offer value. Another thing that you can do is checklists. So people love clear checklists that break down some kind of skill or habit that they're trying to learn and that they can maybe print it off and hang it up somewhere. Another thing you can do is a guide like a written out tutorial could even do this as a video and make the video like have private access somewhere on your website. Another thing you could do is templates. So some people sell Canva templates, which I think is really awesome because they're accessible to people with free accounts, but you can also create other kinds of templates. Maybe it's a content calendar template or whatever. You can also sell prompts or ideas. That's something that people are always looking for, especially in the content creation world. Or maybe if you are like a journaling person, you can give people journaling prompts or meditation prompts. And finally, you can create programs or plans or strategies for people to complete a certain goal. So you can give them like a roadmap to, you know, being 100% vegan or a roadmap to traveling all of Canada. Whatever it is, you can create sort of scrapbook style, I feel like guides that take people from the beginning to an end of a certain goal that they're trying to reach. And then another thing I will say is remember to actually promote these because I have a number of digital products out there and I definitely don't remember to promote them as often as I should because I don't know, it's always hard I think for a lot of creators because you get started in this business because you wanna create stuff for other people so then you feel kind of bad like asking people to buy your stuff. But it is important if you put the time into making these and they're gonna be valuable to people, tell them that you have them and remember to promote them. My philosophy on Instagram is to serve, 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 and then sell. So don't be shy to make every fifth post or so shouting out one of your paid offers. People are really, they're not going to get annoyed about that. So don't worry. And if you're making YouTube videos, you can honestly talk about them in like every video. Like honestly, you don't have to be afraid. In your video, you could just say, oh, and if you want presets, check out the link in my description. Seriously, there's some people that are like, promoting their merch every two seconds in their YouTube videos. So it's okay if you talk about a high value digital product that you've created for like 20 seconds, midway through a video, people are not gonna hate you. They'll probably actually end up buying your digital product. So don't be afraid to promote it. Of course, balance it with the content creation. And this can be a really great way to start to make some more income as your audience continues to grow. Number four is affiliate sales. Now, this can vary a lot in how much money you make. The nice thing about affiliate sales is that it's open and accessible to everyone to start out. So you really can start doing this the very first thing before you even sell services if you want, because there's no requirement to have a certain number of followers. However, it can take quite a lot of people to really get this to the point where you're earning a good amount of money from it. The nice thing about affiliates is you can recommend whatever stuff you really like and enjoy. If you genuinely love it, you can just try Googling the stuff that you use, like a subscription program or a certain product and Google that with the term affiliate program. And you might be able to find some stuff to recommend that you can start making a commission on. Here's a little secret for you. The ads that I include in these podcast episodes, they're actually just shout outs to companies that I have affiliate codes for that's really it. So they're not like, you know, formalized brand deals. I just genuinely love Artlist, for instance, and I've been using it for years. And so I have an affiliate link with them. And so I recommend it. You can start talking about brands you have codes for anytime. And you can do that on Instagram, or on YouTube or in podcasts. And you can balance it with your other Cells or pitches, right? You don't want to be making every single post about something you have an affiliate code for. I would count it as one of those, you know, one in every five cell sort of pieces of content. So yeah, something to try out. I think this one works better in some industries than others. In the lifestyle world, it seems to work really, really well because people love to shop and get the same outfits or beauty products or home goods as influencers they follow. In my industry, it can be a little less effective just because people aren't getting a new subscription service every single day. People aren't buying a new camera every day. So, you know, it is what it is, but it's something that you can add into your roster to diversify your income a little bit more. And finally, number five, we've got brand deals. Brand deals are like the holy grail of what people think they can achieve with being a content creator. It seems to be up there with, you know, saying LinkedIn bio or whatever. Like it's an iconic part of being a creator. People think, how cool would it be to get a brand deal? It like makes me legit. And I honestly think that people have this association not because of the literal process of working with a brand. I think it's because the idea of getting brand deals has become something that like gives you clout. Anyway, that's my like philosophical take on it, but all that is to say, yeah, it can be pretty sweet. Like it's pretty great to get a brand deal if you were going to make a YouTube video anyway and now it's a sponsored video, like that's pretty sick because now you're making money doing this piece of content that you love. But you also have to know that it is work and it is quite different than just making a video for yourself because there are approval processes. You have to make sure that you're doing things the way that the brand is asking for and on certain timelines. Often you are creating something that you would not have created otherwise because you know brands wanna make sure, and rightly so, that the content that you're making is aligning with whatever their offer is. And sometimes you're going through rounds and rounds of revisions and approvals and it can also sometimes take a long time to get paid. I did some work for a brand back in September and I'm still, I I still don't even know when that payment is coming. Like I don't even have a a date. (laughs) So that's what it can be like sometimes. Not to complain, like I know I'm very, very privileged to be able to do the work that I do, but I just want to demystify it a little bit so that you know it's not all like the most glamorous thing ever because often, yeah, you're kind of jumping through hoops for brands and then waiting a long time to actually see that moolah. However, that doesn't mean that this is not something that you should work towards. I think that it's a really great part of the job and it can be a really great way to add another income stream, especially if you have a strong niche, a very specific audience and high engagement, you can get brand deals even without a big audience, right? Like if you can offer a specific audience that's very engaged, that can sometimes be more valuable than a large audience, I got my first ever brand deal when I had 2500 subscribers and I honestly can still hardly believe that they paid me to make that video. But I was creating niche content and it seemed valuable to them and and that, you know, that is something that you have to offer. So, it could come along sooner than you might think. But it's also okay to wait and and just do you know a brand deal when you get to the point where you feel really confident about what you have to offer too, because it's never a great feeling to have that imposter syndrome and feel like, oh, this brand's paying me all this money. Am I really offering them value? You always want to make sure that you that you feel super confident about what you're bringing to the table. And now that I'm starting to see things from the other side a little bit because I'm starting to work with clients who are interested in doing some influencer marketing work, I know that I personally, if I would. You know be doing this for clients and recommending it to them i would totally recommend working with micro influencers small brands and micro influencers can be a great combination because at the end of the day a small business is not going to have the budget to pay for a really big influencer of like 100k plus followers but if they could gift something to somebody with like 5k followers or pay for a small brand deal with somebody that has 10K followers, that can be a really, really great impact for the growth of their business. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for micro-influencers, and I I think that that can just be super effective, especially for small businesses. So that's just to say that you don't have to feel like you need to have 100,000 followers to be able to work with brands. It's just about finding the right brands that have goals that align with what you're able to offer. I started out in terms of the kind of brand deal space, pitching myself to brands kind of from a freelance perspective. So it was almost like I'll create content for my own platforms, but I'll also create some content for you. I'm a professional videographer, da, da, da. and that's another great way to approach it. So offering content pieces that they can then take and post on their own socials can be another good way to offer them value. Overall, there are a lot of ways to make an income as a creator, which we've talked about today. You just have to be creative and inventive, and don't be afraid to come up with ways that I didn't even list here. There are so many different ways that you could generate an income with the skills that you have. At the end of the day, the important thing is to grow an audience that you care for and that truly cares for you, and then make sure that you're always offering them value in an honest way, and then you've got the foundations of a very successful creator business. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Creator Club podcast. If you listen to this entire episode, I want to know who you are. Send me a DM on Instagram, at Katie Steckley, so we can chat. Do you want to be part of the official Creator Club? You can join my Insider Squad Facebook group by going to katiesteckley.com slash club. I'd love to see you there. Finally, if you're looking for more value-packed content like this, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash katie go to my channel and search Instagram Hacks, and I promise you won't be disappointed. If you want to hear more episodes like this and support this show to continue, please leave me a review in iTunes. It really helps me out, and you just might get featured on the next episode as the review of the week. Leave your IG handle in the review so I can give you a shout out. Again, thanks so much for listening, and as always, I hope you are having adventures and following your dreams, and I'll catch you next week, Creator Club.